Well, we are back for another spooky night of paranormal talk and discussion. The big guy, John Brightman, is in here with us tonight. We'll also find out about Chris Balzano's new project as well. And, uh, Matt, you got all the... All the cameras raised up on on higher tripods, right? Because we got John Brightman in, so you can't set them at the usual levels. They got to be they got to be pointing up. A lot of uh, nostril shots tonight. As we begin episode, what what number is it? Episode what? Four episode four seventy nine of Spooky South Coast starts right now. South Coast, Tim Weisberg here, along with Stephanie Burke, the silent assassin Matt Costa, and science advisor Matt Moniz. We are here to talk about the paranormal, as we are each and every Saturday night. No college football tonight, so we are broadcasting directly on WBSM, as well as live on YouTube and through the Spooky South Coast Android app, and also rebroadcasting as well on the Dark Matter Radio Network. So many ways to get this show. And more ways coming in the future. Probably. Maybe. I think so. If the computer ever updates. If we can send it via mental telepathy, we'll do that. <laughs> that would probably be the best way. Just directly download it into your brain. That's That'd be best for us. What if we could actually do that before the show happens? Then we would actually know what we're talking about. See that? But otherwise, we just fudge our way through it, as we will do again tonight, as we do always. And uh, it's it's... It's been a very interesting week, paranormal-wise. Uh, there's a lot of stuff going on. A lot of stuff. I don't know what's go- what's been going on, but uh, all of a sudden, it's like October happened, and a bunch of people were like, oh, paranormal, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. <laughs> Let's look into that. So uh, that, that's probably all we can say about that. Yeah, maybe. maybe. But the, hey, there's still all kinds. Of, why am I holding a pencil? I never use a what's pencil. What's wrong with you? I'm I am so anti pencil it's ridiculous. Yeah, but you look sophisticated. I if I really want to look sophisticated I'll put it behind my ear. Then people think I know what I'm talking about. All right, but now you have to wear that the entire show. No, no, it hurts. <laughs> but I I I haven't been a pencil guy since like third grade. Once we made the switch to pens, that was it for me. Ink all the way. Pencils pfft, Nobody wants that. Hopefully the engineer's not watching. He just threw a pencil. It almost knocked some things over. We're so, good. A week later, and we still don't know who bought the Amityville house. Right. John Brightman is in the studio with us. And, uh, John, you're as connected as, as anyone is to, to the personalities around the paranormal field. You haven't even heard anything about who it was. I have not heard anything. I've made calls, I've asked people, and I've gotten to know it wasn't me, or I don't know who it is. And I think if we find out, you know... It, it, if we find out that it's nobody involved in the paranormal at all, and it's just something that people were throwing into the news stories as speculation, as rumor, as whatever you want to say that it was, and it just turns out to be a regular person that just wants to live in that neighborhood, 
uh, I think we'll all kind of be a little bit disappointed, as we were in 2010 when it sold. And we were like, we were really hoping somebody was going to come out of the woodwork and buy it. But what what difference is it going to make if somebody does? It doesn't. I mean, I don't think it does, but I one aspect that I do hope that happens, or I should say, if it does happen, that a paranormal person buys it, they respect the house, though, and don't try doing something crazy and stupid on their own, you know, and thinking that they're holier than now and can solve the whole situation. You well, know? I mean, if, if you're going to do it, if you're going to do something stupid, please do it on your own. Like, don't <laughs> don't involve other people in your stupidity. But uh, that, I think what will happen with it is, you know, whoever it is that, that buys it, it's not like they're going to be able to open the doors up for public investigation. It's right. not like they're going to be able to hold events there, although, depending on who it is, they might try. Because $850,000 is a lot of money to make up. Yes. And $22,000 a year in property taxes is a lot to cover. So it's entirely possible that they will try and do something. Uh, I don't think they'll get very far with it, at least uh, according to the neighbors that I've talked to around there. Because once upon a time, I was working for a television show. I can I can tell this story now because I don't think that the TV show is coming back. So I was looking for locations for a, a certain show that I worked on. And they were looking for something that nobody had ever gotten into before. And I was like, well, I know one place. <laughs> and so I looked up through the property transfers and all that. And I got the names and went online. And I looked up the phone numbers and all that. And I, I actually got the phone number to the house. And I called and I left a message and I never heard back. So then, you know, not being one to take nothing for an answer, I started looking up some of the neighboring addresses. And I actually got neighbors of the house on the phone. Hmm. And I explained who I was and what was going on. And I asked, are they still in the house? You know, I don't want you to verify if this is the right number or not, but can you at least say that these are the people who live there? And, you know, I got some people that told me that that's right. So they're just ignoring your call. And I said, well, you know, if you want to put in a good word, why would I do that? (laughs) Like, we don't want that to happen. We don't want somebody to come and film there. We want this to all go away. And so I think that's part of it. I think, I mean, obviously you can't pick your neighbors or else we all would. But I think when you have the level of wealth that exists in that neighborhood, it's entirely possible that, Let's just, and I'm just going to throw the name out there for, for the purpose of discussion, but let's say that Zach Bagans bought the house or was in the process of buying the house for $850,000. And the neighborhood, 10 neighbors or so said, we don't want him buying that house and whatever kind of circus will happen as a result of it. I'm pretty sure those 10 neighbors could probably come up with enough money to buy the house out from under, out from under him yeah. at a higher bid and, and essentially block him from being able to purchase the house. Yep. And it happens all the time. We see it happen all the time in development. That's how they keep, you know, the the properties that they want to keep and keep the people out that they want to keep out. So, I don't know. We'll see what happens with it. Uh, I'm sure we will get an answer sooner rather than later because I can't imagine there's a long approval process for somebody that's able to buy an $850,000 house. It's not like you or I, you know, trying to go out and buy a house that's a little bit over our means and they're trying to figure out the financing and how to make it all work and then somebody has to come in and do all the inspection. This is an $850,000 house. It's ready to go. And... You still got to get it inspected, I think. You do, but it's not like... When the inspection happens, I'm pretty sure that it's going to be kind of an in-and-out deal Mm -hmm. where... 
everything's probably up to code because it was just sold a couple of years ago. Right. So the the process isn't going to be that long. It's not going to be like when they come through a house around here and they're like, oh, oh, who owned it before you? Oh, they had it for 45 years. Well, we got to update all the electrical. We got to swap out the hot water heater. You know, I don't think I think all that stuff already happened a couple of years ago. My, all that uh, stuff. When I bought dead my bodies house. in the well oh in the basement, all that stuff. That's horrendous. I when I bought my house, um, it had only been on the market for a year, but um, before you know somebody purchased it or at least looked at it, and um, everything changes so often that yeah, all the codes and everything. Yeah, changed. they still had to put stuff up. They still had to take care of a lot of different things. But our inspection probably took about four plus hours, and it's just because you want to make sure that what you're purchasing there's nothing hidden. Right. So it still takes a long time. But but once it was done, I mean, it was done. It wasn't like yeah. they were calling you in and saying you got to get a contract down and do this. Nope. You got to have this done. You got to have this done. No, nope, because at that point you're not responsible for it. But whoever I mean, whoever, is. yeah. But yeah. I mean, it's not like that stuff had to get done. It was all, it was all set. It was just a matter of going through it all with the fine tooth comb to make sure it was all set. Right. And I think that that's probably the same thing that'll happen with this house. But even like financing and like lawyers and stuff like that usually take an average between like one and a half to two months. But that's what I'm thinking. Is if it's a paranormal person who's buying this, there's no financing. <laughs> They're putting down cash. They're putting down. Oh no, cash. I know, but the paperwork still takes a while. Because whoever it is, like they're not going to... I don't think that you would take the risk. Let's just say, again, for example, you are, Zach, you're not going to take the risk of going through the process of, of getting the mortgage and having the bank say, well, what do you intend to do with it? Yeah. And, you know, all that kind of stuff. You're just going to pluck down the cash. Mm-hmm. and Especially when, you know, you pay that much money for a car. The, the neighbors are very fussy over there, though, because we. I was just there in September doing an event, and literally at that Location, you drive by, and the neighbors are looking out their windows oh, yeah. at you, wondering why you're going by slow, what you're doing in the neighborhood, especially without a state plates. Yeah, a lot of people don't realize this, uh, but uh, the the neighbors' names on one side are Gladys Kravitz, and on the other side, it's Raquel Lockmonic. So uh, Matt gets it. One guy got it on the panel. The, uh, I got half. Does that count? Well, which one did the you get? The first one. Gladys Kravitz? Right. So who is that? Oh, God. Um, is that the Bewitched one? That was the neighbor on Bewitched that always knew something yes. was up. And Raquel Lockmonic was Alf. Alf, the neighbor Alf. on Alf, who always thought something was up. I always watch up. Alf. I think I should have really? known that. Yeah, Raquel and Trevor Lockmonic. <coughs> I actually uh, I actually used that name as a fake name once. I used uh, Trevor Lockmonic. Yes. <laughs> Where, what Do was I, I want to know for what? No, I think, I think I was like, you know, when you give your name at a restaurant or something. Mm. I used to always like to make up fake names. Because... You know, being Weisberg, my dad would never give them our real name mm-hmm. when we went to a restaurant because they'd always be like, how do you spell that? Like, why do you need to know how to spell it? Write it down phonetically. You're going to just call out our name. Mm-hmm. But he didn't want to go through all that, so he would just tell them our name was Foley because everybody go. knew how to spell Foley. And so one time I got to be the one to go and tell them what our names was. And I, and I heard the person saying, like, like Smith, Smith family. Johnson, Johnson family. So I said to my siblings, I was like, just, you'll know what to do when they call the name. So I gave them the name. So the lady was like, Adams, Adams family. And we all went, oh my God. <laughs> it was good. It was, I thought I was, I was pretty happy with it. So, uh, we are, we're going to be joined in just a few moments by, uh, by Chris Balzano. Uh, he is going to, uh, be sharing with us his new venture. That just dropped last week, and he's also... So he's back in the game? He's also listening via the feed, so he's a little bit behind. 
So he doesn't uh, realize exactly that we're calling him and telling him to call in. But it is at the agreed upon time. Right. So I'm just going to send him a quick message. He's a minute late. That happens. That happens when you're when you're watching the feed. It's the one I can't I can't watch because I don't have a computer. It's still updating. It's still right? updating. Yeah, not oh, close to being done. It'll be done by the time the show's over. It might. I mean, you might get this. It might do this thing where like it it slowly crawls to like eleven percent, and then all of a sudden jumps to like seventy five. So far, no. But, yeah. That's the, people always are like, why, why does the show never start on time? That's like the biggest thing that happens with us, is it's because, like, as soon as we go to turn on the computers and get ready for the show, they start updating. I think you need to, like, turn them on the day before. I, I mean, update. I use that computer every single day. But well, it's still, this one. it's just our luck that it just happens to be happening during the show. It's weird. It's definitely weird. All right. I feel lost. I, uh, I see the phone line lighting up, so we are joined now by Spooky South Coast content director, Christopher Balzano. Good evening, Christopher. How are you? Excellent, excellent. Did you guys have a good Thanksgiving? Oh, we did. How was yours? It was spooktacular. Oh, oh, oh just steal a phrase. <laughs> I know, turned around on you. And uh, no, no, ghost, no turkey ghosts roaming around the house now? Definitely not. All right, Definitely not. Just the ghosts of... Turkey's past, I guess. <laughs> past to the digestive tract. <laughs> so, you know, last week I'm just messing around on Facebook. Uh, I was working on my computer doing some stuff. And all of a sudden I see this post from you that a, a new podcast had dropped, a new venture that you were working on that I didn't even know was, was coming out. Yeah, I was, we were kind of keeping it close to the vest because we weren't sure when we were going to be able to launch it officially. Um, and... You know, it was one of those things where probably if we just didn't do it that day and actually get it out there, we would have stopped uh, and maybe rethought it. But you know, we we wanted to get the I wanted to get the juices flowing again, and we had a a legend trip that we actually had to report on. So I was like, you know what, this is a really good time just to watch it. So I kind of did it out of nowhere without really telling anybody, and figured I'd put it up there and then start the promotional part. And when we started. You know, I mean, when I started listening to it, I was, uh, you know, I was immediately sucked in by the fact that it's it's kind of, you know, it's kind of very old school in your approach of, you know, just it's not about flash. It's you just get right into the topic, you get right into the subject, and uh, and it, it felt kind of like, you know, minus all the goofiness, like when we used to do spooky crossroads. Yeah, I mean, that's you know, kind of the definitely the feeling I was going for in terms of uh, my partner Natalie, Chris, and I just wanted to create something where um, we were talking about these things and, you know, we didn't initially plan on having any guests, although some people have already approached us and asked us if they can come on the show already, uh, which was kind of interesting. But, you know, we just kind of wanted to be very casual about it. No, Like you said, no flash. Just kind of be like, all right, well, let's just take these stories. Let's take the methodology that we're going to take to to track these stories down and let that be what's going on. And with this, I mean, this is something that is more, I mean, you've been involved with the show for a long time, both uh, as a frequent guest, but also as part of the Spooky crew now for a number of years. And as much as you enjoy 
you know, bringing the subjects to us and, and, and igniting the discussions that we have, you know, for you, it's not about the actual nuts and bolts of producing a radio show. You know, you like to get into the heart of the discussion and get into the subject. You know, Matt and right. I might get hung up on, like, what kind of cool, you know, techie stuff can we do during the show, but you're the one that actually drives the, the content and the subject matter and, and keeps that in focus. And with this, I mean, you have the opportunity to really get in-depth because you're spending however much time the episode is just kind of focusing on this and really being able to dissect it. So, I mean, I'm just imagining the whole time you're, you know, you're sitting there like just completely jazzed up for it. You know, and it was, um, you know, I'm not good at the tech stuff. Um, and I'm not good at the, at the, at the flash. Anyone who remembers the old mass, uh, paranormal crossroads on super paranormal crossroads remembers that it was one of the most boring looking sites, um, that the paranormal has ever seen perhaps. Um, but it's the content that, that really kind of makes it for me. It's the stories that really make it for me. And it's a rapport I have with my host, and, and it's, we've got a really good dynamic of, you know, she's highly interested in what we're talking about, and she's an amazing researcher, but she doesn't know a lot of nuts and bolts things. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the discussion uh, involves, like, well, wait a minute, well, how does that fit in with um, with the paranormal? Or, or, okay, so what is an EVP again? Explain that to me. Um, at one point, I remember we were talking about, which was kind of the spark of us doing it that night, is we, there were three knocks on the door as we were kind of discussing whether or not we were going to do the show. And I was like, oh, you know, that there's three knocks is kind of like a, you know, a, a long history of, uh, you know, um, kind of paranormal superstition about that. And so then that became a discussion point of, because she hadn't known that. So it was really, it's really kind of, um, almost she acts as the, the audience member who might be interested in what these kind of things are, and she draws it out of me. So that's kind of really the, the way that we're going with it. And, I mean, that's a great balance to have because, you know, a lot of times we take for granted the audience that we have. And we, we say, okay, we're going to start discuss. And we've had this discussion off air, you know, all of us and you, Chris, where we say, um, you know, are we getting away from the newer listeners, the newer audience, are we, you know, how do you find that balance of being able to explain things to people who might be new to the concepts, uh, but still, you know, have your regular audience feel like they're still on the same ride with you that they've always been on? And, you know, that's one thing right. that bothered me about Ghost Hunters is how season five, they're still explaining every time they capture an EVP what an EVP is. And, right, you know, right. that, that's something that we always debate about, you know, how much do we need to do that. But with your co-host, you're able to have that happen very organically because it's not a forced question. It's not a forced discussion point. It's an actual question and an actual answer. And, and what happens is that, you know, because she raises a question at a certain time, a certain question, it becomes relevant to what we're actually talking about. So, for example, a discussion on EVP might directly relate to, because A, here is either the history of EVPs in that place, or it might tie into some theory that we're working on developing uh, about the energy in that place, and therefore energy and, and might be connected to the reason why there might be EVP. So it, it becomes a lot more relevant rather than, oh, my word, I got an EVP. Let me explain what an EVP is. So it's actually... Even in the telling of what something is, it becomes connected to the story we're trying to track down. Now, as you're exploring these topics, I mean, I'm sure since the last time that you've really had the opportunity to get in-depth 
into these topics. You know, there's there's been a lot of things that have changed and a lot of things that have changed in your own approach. Are you going to be exploring a lot of new things? Are you going to be revisiting a lot of things that you've covered in the past? I know that you're in a whole different geographical area than you right. were when you were really in-depth with this, but I'm sure there will be things both nationally and internationally that come into play as well. Um, I, it's, you know, <laughs> actually I think the whole point of the show is that we're looking at things that are not new. Um, the spirit of the show is we are um, going to end up taking a road trip, and as kind of a preface to that, we're going to be looking into some of the um, urban legends and folklore of, let's say, a five-hour radius of where we are right now, which means you know maybe one or two counties away because we live in Florida, right? Um, but these are stories and folklore that have existed for decades, if not you know centuries, in any given town that we're going into. So therefore, our approach is, no, we want to tap into what has been uh, known in this town and maybe only in this town for years, and we're going to try to take some old-school paranormal aspects into it. So not a lot of technical stuff, not a lot of um, new technologies. It's the exact opposite. It's a very stripped-down approach to actually going into you know, what might be um, uh, a lesser-known folk tale of a of a of a town, a small town, going in there and doing the rituals or doing the the actual legend tripping. I mean, it really is not investigation at all. It really is like legend tripping these places, right? Trying to connect it to the personality of the places that were there that well, we're going to. When I'm talking about new approaches, I'm actually talking about you as as uh, as a researcher and the way that you analyze these stories. I mean, you are not the same. Uh, writer, you are not the same dissector of information, you are not the same uh, kind of paranormal ombudsman that you were when you were doing the mass crossroads sites. You know, you, your, right. your approach and your mindset has changed over the years, and it's been shaped by some of the things that have, you know, developed both paranormally speaking, but also in the way that you digest these legends now. So I think, you know, it's, you're going to have a more sophisticated look at it just naturally from your own growth as a person between what you were doing 10 years ago and what you're doing now. Yes, I totally agree with it. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I look at the paranormal completely different um, than I did when I was doing Mass Crossroads. Um, but I think also, you know, in, in in researching this for 20 years and spending the last kind of 10 years as an outsider looking in, I've really become interested in um, much more of how we define ourselves by the paranormal. And so that's something that was very different. It used to just be... Hey, is this a is this a legend or is this a haunting? And maybe it's a little bit of both. And now much more, it's like, what is this thing saying? So I think that's really um, going to be our focus going forward. But in the other aspect of it is, because we're going in with such an open mind, we're really open to anything that happens. And so, you know, it's it's one of those situations where, you know, we're not sure exactly the direction that the show or that the the adventure is going to go into, and but we're very, very open to it going <laughs> any place. Well, in terms of uh, just you know new episodes, I mean, when can we expect this with some frequency? Is this going to be kind of like a when when the need arises, or is this going to be kind of a planned out you know week to week thing? We're looking to drop one about every week. Okay, um, we already have, and and my co-host now has kind of gotten like a a touch of this. She's like, we've got to get another one up right, right now. We already know what we're going to talk about in the next episode. So she is definitely like the driving force of actually getting me off my butt to do this stuff. <laughs> and so um, we're hoping to have one, if not every week, then like every other week. Because, you know, it's not just 
um, about actual the actual place itself. So we're going to be talking a lot about the process of how we're going to go about looking for things, um, which some people are going to find extremely interesting and some kind of people are going to find very boring. Um, so we're hoping that because of that we can get one done like every week or every other week. And uh, and how can people find it if they want to, if they want to do so? Um, right now we just uh, uploaded our first podcast. It hasn't hit iTunes yet, but it should by Monday. Um, the podcast itself is called Tripping on Legends. So it's a little play on the whole legend tripping um, name or the you know activity. Um, it's already on YouTube. So if you go to YouTube and you tr- uh, type in Tripping on Legends, you can find it. Um, if you go to the Spooky South Coast YouTube, you guys have been kind enough to let us put up our first YouTube video up there um, so people can find it there. And uh, we look forward to, see, to watching and listening to many more episodes. Uh, any plans to, to maybe do it with the cameras like we do? Um, I'm a little shy of the cameras. I know you are. I'm a little shy, <laughs> a little shy of the cameras, but you know, I think it, I think it might be an interesting thing because um, uh, some of uh, some of her reactions to the things I say is, are pretty priceless and kind of worth the price of admission. Uh, so I'm thinking that in the next couple of, uh, at least within the next month, we're going to get at least one actually like live video and then you know record it with us and not just pictures. Chris, I recommend you do it in the full Dr. Terry. <laughs> just take your shirt off and, and do it this. Do it that way. Well, I'm, I'm, what I'm trying to do is find a nice because I don't have any ceiling fans here. I'm trying to get the ceiling fan yep, yep. creepy aspect of spooky crossroads down again. But we'll see what happens. I'm in a different house now. Well, uh, we look forward to uh, many, many more episodes and following along with you on the journey. Uh, TrippingOnLegends.wordpress.com is the site to find out more. And, of course, you can find the podcast. It should be everywhere by the time this podcast goes out. Uh, just look for Tripping on Legends wherever you get podcasts. So, Chris, thanks for, for joining us and for sharing with us uh, all the information. And uh, I guess we'll see you in the chat room. All right. Thank you very much for having me on, guys. All right, Have a great take, night. Take it easy. That right, is bye-bye. Chris Balzano, one of the hosts of tripping on legends and uh, I, I, like I said I just was on Facebook and I just saw it and I was like what? Chris didn't even mention this to me no he did not because I would have mentioned it last Saturday for right. people to get ready but they they wanted a soft opening you know they wanted a, a soft uh, premiere release so uh, and I know Matt that you know you helped him out with getting some stuff going uh, technologically so uh, it, it'll only be a matter of time before he's cursing technology just as much as we do every week so, and uh, and speaking of cursing technology, we have our guest tonight, John Brightman, who, you know, whenever we have anything technological to handle, you know, we we turn to him for information because he's gone through it all. You are the guy, though, that when I hear about something, I ask you, you're like, yeah, I've already seen it. Yeah, I've already used that. Yeah, you know, yeah. Well, I didn't know about him. Yeah. yeah, well, that's all right. That was a surprise to all of us. I think mm-hmm. uh, that was that was one of those things that only two people knew about. Uh, but. You've been involved in paranormal research for a long time, and we've had you on before talking about the Bridgewater Triangle. We've had you on talking about some of your experiences, like at the S.K. Pierce Mansion. Uh, you know, you've been around this stuff for a long time, and you've seen the trends that have come and gone within it. And how would you describe this era that we're in right now of paranormal research? Because Chris and I always talk about you know, getting back to the story and getting back to what got us interested in the first place. Do you see it going still in a very techie, a very, uh, you know, technologically based 
model or more like people just want to go back to experiencing the legends? You know, I, I see it both ways. I see a lot of people on Facebook and at conventions and places talking about, oh, I like how the show did this. I like how a show did that. we got to get that equipment. But then I've also found at a lot of events, um, I've cut back from doing, when I do the events in, like, say, Freetown, instead of bringing all the equipment, people like, just like what Chris is doing, the, mm-hmm. the Legend Trip pot. They want to hear the stories and have a personal experience that way. Maybe if they feel something touch them or get that little scary side of them. Versus having a camera in one hand, K2 in this one, a recorder strapped to their shoulder. They they rather have that legend trip I see a lot more people have. So I think it might be going back that way that they just want to experience it and hear what's going on versus having everything in front of you to play with. Because I think most of us have gotten involved in this because something happened to us. Yes. And so that's what kind of drove us to it, whether it be, you know, developing your abilities or right. in our case, just kind of having something come up and let us know that it was there. You know, so I think a lot of us already had that experience. So for us, it became about the validation of that experience by going out with this gear and having some sort of data correspond with what was happening to us as a personal experience. But I think... It's become so oversaturated now that most common people, they don't care about the lights and the bells and the whistles. Because to them, it doesn't mean it. It means something to us, or it did, because it was a way to prove what happens to us. But for people who have, are looking for that first experience, they would much rather feel something go down their arm than see something light up in their hand. I, I agree with you on that. The other thing is, though, so many people now, and I'm sure you guys have seen it, like I just watched it the other day, a friend of ours, a mutual friend of ours, uh, Melody, mm-hmm. posted something on Facebook saying that she saw something at an investigation. She didn't say it was for real. She didn't say she just wanted people's opinion. What do you think? And people jumped all over her saying, oh, that's fake, that's this, that's that. We're not saying that it's 100% real and you have to believe it. So I think a lot of people like her are, were don't want to post things anymore. They right. just want to get back to the basics of just, you know what, to me, it felt real. That's what I think, and that's the way it's going to stay. You know what, though, is we've all become a little bit jaded to some degree about the things that we see other people posting and and the evidence that they're sharing. We've all become kind of like immediately going into that debunking and skeptical. and That's because that's what TV taught us to do. uh, But I think a lot of it, too, is that we've just seen so much crap that... You know, we're automatically trying to separate the crap before we've even looked at anything. But at the same time, the crap that you're talking about is actually opening up people's minds that necessarily did not look at paranormal experiences to begin with. So those people that are so skeptical that they want nothing to do with the paranormal are looking at a photo and now looking at it twice and saying, oh, my God, it's an orb. To us, it might be dust or a bug, but they're looking at it with a possibility of it being something paranormal. So you have to watch the, the shift in their mindset, too. I, there's a friend, a guy John and I both know, and, and Stephanie, I don't think you've had the pleasure of meeting him yet, but um, a, friend of my, a friend of ours named Dave uh, from down the, the Long Island, New York area, and he sent me a photo at Lizzie Borden's that he took there that had a, a, a woman, a, a female figure, in the reflection of the glass taken in the John Morse room where, where Mrs. Borden was killed. And... Immediately, I said, 
I don't know if you remember this from when you went through there, Dave, but there's a dress on display that was Elizabeth Montgomery's dress that she wore in the Lizzie Borden TV movie. And I went, uh, and he's like telling me, like, no, no. And, and he, you know, he's had some issues, so it's a little hard for him to get his responses yep. out. And so I was like, no, but it is. And so I immediately went on Google and did an image search, Lizzie Borden dress Elizabeth Montgomery, so I could send him the picture and show him that oh. that's what it is. And when I got to the picture online, I was like, oh, no, wait a minute. It's different. This dress is green, and mm-hmm. the one in the picture is white, and this isn't in the same position. And so I had to actually go back to him and apologize to him and say, I'm sorry. I just immediately went into, like, debunking mode, yep. and I didn't even open my mind to the possibility that it was not the same dress. And, and actually, it's it's pretty good. I mean, I, I asked him. I said, it could be a reenactor, but he said that there was nobody doing that there mm-hmm. at the time. So. You Isn't know, it well, funny that we automatically go to that closed-minded place of, mm-hmm. oh, no, I have to just write this off as something that's practical, where these people that are coming to us are the ones that are more open-minded at that point. Yeah, the same thing that we accuse other people of. Absolutely. Stop being so closed-minded. Right? Yes. You know, open your mind to the possibility that it could be something, and, and exactly that's what you end up doing is, you know, you fall into that same trap yourself. Right. And, and we've... We had, um, I, I've mentioned this before, but Dave Francis and I had started something on Facebook a couple of years ago where we were taking people's photos and explaining to them where they could be mistaken in thinking that things are paranormal. And we just became the bullies of the internet. Like, everybody jumped down our throats. Well, so you like, are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but most people don't know that. We, we, that. we keep that limited to private messages. But, uh, it was just ridiculous. Like, just the amount of hate that we got. Right. And the fact, like, we were, one of the people that was involved in the site was Rosemary Ellen Guiley, who's been involved in this in a long time, you know, for a long time. And she's seen everything. Right. And so when she goes on and starts offering opinions of things, people are like telling her, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm like, well, because they I, want I think she does. Might, yeah. They want to have that experience so badly because they've heard about it. They've been on the fence. They want to move forward and actually say, okay, this happened to me. Now I can keep believing and now I can keep moving forward. And then there's a possibility of something new happening. So I I don't blame them for being angry, but we know the truth, obviously. It's almost... Sorry, go ahead. You want to say something, Ernest? I didn't mean to cut you off. Yeah, no. Uh, to me, it's the modern gold rush uh, of the day. People going out to find, you know, these little nuggets and, you know, trying to strike it rich with the, I've got the ultimate evidence, you know, I, you know that kind of thing. But most people are just coming away with a couple of little right. you know, pebbles. And, and, but it still has value. It right. does. It does. See, I like that analogy. I can I can keep stretching it even more if you want. No, you, I mean, I can you're see You're welcome that. to no, it no, if no. you want, but it, it's <laughs> just the observation I made. It's true. Because people think they're going to be the next, you know, strike it rich type of person because I've got the ultimate evidence. And let's face it, a lot of these people are looking to get on shows and, you know, mm-hmm. become no, that's, famous. That's I, I, I get it. I, I'm not saying everybody, right. but some people are just looking to, you know, it's the I gold rush for, you know, spirituality. A lot of the people that. that we deal with are not on that, that wavelength. Um, a lot of people that at least I deal with or come to me, um, or even like from our events and stuff are just really hoping for that experience or they've had something that they want to capture. And, you know, there's been some people that just want to make something out of nothing, you know, anywhere, but 
I don't think it's coming from a place of I need to be on TV. It's I want that experience. I need to have but that experience. There is still a great amount of even now, as paranormal reality television is starting, or unscripted television, I'd say, is starting to right. wane a bit. There's still people who that's the primary objective, right? And and there's there's two kinds of people that are involved in it, right? There's the people who the people who feel that they should be on TV and the paranormal is their way in, mm-hmm. and the people who are interested in the paranormal but just feel like they should also be on TV. Now, are we talking about people that just want their case on TV, or are we talking about people that really want to star in the show? Because that could be a whole other. No, I'm talking about people that are like. I'm really interested in this topic, but I also really want to be on TV. Right. right. So I, you know, that's that's the career that I want for myself to be a TV ghost hunter, and I think that when you start doing that, you get caught up in the what's already been done. Right. You get caught up in the way that people have already been doing things, and you don't kind of have your own approach and your own way of doing things, your own niche per right. se. And and it's not just it's. Not just in how you investigate either. It's not just in the actual technique of it. It's also in what kind of questions you're asking and what reasons you're doing it for. And it's, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm tired of people going into places and saying, let's find out if there's a ghost here. Cause damn it, I think there's a ghost everywhere. Yeah. And I'm not saying that because I think everything's a ghost. I'm just saying the possibility is there everywhere that this stuff could happen. I want to see people both on television but also actual investigators who are out there every weekend doing this, I want them to start asking the questions of, well, what does it mean? What does it mean if we have 500 groups a year going to the Lizzie Borden house and all of them come out with some sort of activity? Fine, great, it's haunted. We know that now. But why? What does it mean? Put it all together. And don't just give me the regurgitated story of, well, somebody killed two people there, so they're going to hang around there. There's more to it. There's more layers than that. And and I think also that, more deaths there, but right that too. But there's there's the need to kind of expand the reason, and that's what when you know working on the Ghost Stalker show, that was one of the things that we laid out. Was we said, okay, there's ghosts. Ghosts are real, but why? What does it mean? Let's try and find those answers. Why are they here? What what's their purpose for being here? What what is their reasoning? And and what are the commonalities between them? So, I can tell you. Why? <laughs> but what? How can we take the stuff that you already know, right, and find a way to put that into a narrative that we can use to explain it to people who don't have your same abilities? You know, like people, unless you can throw a football like Tom Brady, you don't mm-hmm. understand how Tom Brady throws a football. Right. I don't care how much you want to break down the mechanics of it. Until you have that ability yourself, you don't understand that ability. And I think the same thing goes for what you have. I mean, I teach people, absolutely. You know, I go through different things of how I do things, and then let me teach you how to um, start to scrape the surface of that. But at the same time, if you want to talk about, you know, having evidence or seeing what I can do be put to paper, how many times have I brought been brought into a location and had historical documents sitting right there, you know, uh, to review right after I'm done? And every single thing is historically documented that I picked up on. So at least there's a correlation there. Or at the same time, um, I've worked with EVP experts. And I've explained to them, you know, how my gift works. They go into it. I'm asking questions to the spirit that I see in front of me. And what you hear back is a perfect conversation caught on EVP back and forth. So it sounds like I'm actually talking to someone. But people that were standing there know that I was only talking to some spirits. Got a recording of that actually when we're at the uh, Sam West house. Oh, do you? Yeah. Um, 
but I know I know it's happened often, so there's at least some proof there. But you mentioned that you're able to teach people how to develop that ability, right. but they're still not at that same level as you. Only some people would be. You know, Tom Brady can throw me how, show me how to throw a, a spiral, but it doesn't mean I'm going to throw a football like he does. No, oh, but on, what you could be out there tomorrow doing that. No, no. But no, what no. your original statement was was how to not to be at my level, but how to show people how to get there. But. I can, you can show someone how to throw the football. They'll understand how to throw the football. It doesn't mean that they'll do it as as well, but they at least know how to do it, and that's what you were talking about. And I also think there's a lot of value in it doesn't matter, sticking with the football analogy, it doesn't matter if you throw it one way and I throw it the other way as long as it ends up in the receiver's hands in the end zone. Right. You know, and I think that that's what a lot of people lose in investigation, too, is there's many different ways oh, absolutely. to get to the end result. And, Mo, I mean, I can speak for this uh, from, by experience. Moniz and I do not investigate the same. No. You know, we have two completely different approaches. We have two different lines of questioning when trying to get EVP. You know, we always have different ideas and mindsets. Uh, you, you but know, that's not a bad thing. No. It's, it's a couple more ground. That's what I think. I always think, like, and, you know, we have different, Stephanie, you and I have different approaches right. as how we have to, go into something and and how we have to view what's going on there. You know, you're the one that's always warning me about, you know, things that can that's attach to me or things, you know, and, but we, it's just all different. You just get a little too excited. That's all. It's, it's, it's kind of like it's a, it's a stew and we're all adding in our own ingredients to it, you know, right. to kind of make it all good. We're just, this is going to be the analogy show. We're just going to be making all kinds of analogies. Spooky stone like- soup. That's, I, hey, I'll have some of that. <laughs> Uh, what makes it spooky? Well, wait an hour. You'll see. Right. But I do think that, and, and John, you probably see this a lot, because not only are you, you know, not only are you taking people out on your own events, but you're also taking part in other people's events. Yes. And so you're seeing people come into these uh, with, and you do some of these with, you know, the work that you've been doing with some of the people that are on TV. So you'll go and investigate with somebody who's been on Ghost Hunters or Ghost Adventures or whatever, and so people are coming in trying to mimic what it is that they do do you find that in that environment in that type of a setup does everybody kind of just fall in line with you know what they think that that person wants or do they try to bring some different approaches even in that environment for the most part a lot of them try and fall in line like i've done events where there's been let's say john zaffis amy and adam Mm -hmm. and gates all at the same event next thing you know when they go to john they're all using the regular um, spirit box, some type of unit like that. Depends on what it is. Some use an obvious. But they're all trying to do that when John's there because that's what he does at his events. Mm -hmm. Then you go to Amy and Adam, and it's just regular recorder asking questions. And they literally, you hear them repeat sometimes the same questions that they've just asked, trying to mimic them. And And it makes sense, like you're saying. Be different. Ask a different question. Why copy the exact same thing that was just done? Because I'm thinking you're going to get more response and more, at least more varied response if you're taking a different approach. Uh, a good friend of all of ours, um, I'm not sure if Steph's met him yet, but I know all of us know who he is, Big Jim Jones. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He made me laugh one time at Fort Mifflin. He did that. He wanted to take a total different perspective on investigating, and he went into one of the casemates there, literally dressed up as one of the Confederate soldiers, and he was trying to order the other soldiers around doing this. He finally told him to kiss his butt, and literally you heard a slap, 
And uh-huh. he turned around and looked and like checked, and people put flashlights on him. You saw a handprint on his butt, like wow. something hit him. And it was just crazy because it, it was a total different, you know, atmosphere that night. Instead of doing the same typical thing, asking this, asking that, he went in there with the approach of being like a bully, a boss type thing, and tried pushing the buttons, and it worked to get a response. So why not do something different? And I'll do, I mean, I'll do that if, if we're at an event and something is, you know, lagging and, and it seems like we ha- we aren't getting anything going, I'll be like, well, what do you guys think if we try this? And if you do that, I mean, if you are willing to, to go out on a limb like that, you never know what could happen. You're, you're shaking your head. But I'm, I'm shaking my head. I'm not talking about just bad stuff. No. Definitely you don't, I don't want mean to do bad, bad stuff. stuff, no. I just know probably the past six months or so of us investigating with each other. Maybe, no, I'll call it a year. A year. Um, things have gotten really interesting. And I don't know if it's because of how much time we spend together or how much investigating we do together, but there's been some weird occurrences. I, I do feel, though, that if you are willing to kind of challenge yourself as an investigator, maybe spirits can pick up on that, too. Maybe they can pick up on the fact that, hey, this looks like this guy's trying something different. I think maybe I'll talk to this guy. Because otherwise, you've just got people coming in and regurgitating the same stuff. And I can tell you this, I don't want to come in here and do the same show every Saturday night. I don't want to come in and talk about the exact same things with the exact same people every Saturday night. I like it when different people come in and when different topics get brought up and we can go down different paths. And maybe... You know, the ghosts that we're t- trying to talk to feel the same way. You know, maybe they're tired of every Saturday night. People come in and ask, how old are you? When did you die? How did you die? Are you dead? Right. I, well, another thing, too, is I think a lot of times if you go back to the same place a lot of times, I think that the spirits might get used to you being there. And maybe that's a different way for them to feel comfortable and I open up to that. you. Because I've been to the Victoria Mansion up in Gardner maybe a dozen times now. And the first few times I went, I never received anything. No EVPs, no K2 hits, nothing. But yet, then it was like the sixth or seventh time I started getting more stuff, and then it was right before we filmed for the for the TV show that I ended up getting the scratches on my ribs because I was nothing was happening and I was expecting it to, so I pressed the buttons and kind of threatened it, saying, I'm not leaving, I want to stay here and talk to you. And then it finally came out and showed me, hey, leave me alone, I know who you are. Stop asking me questions. So we need to introduce him to Laura. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Oh boy. That's the uh, that's the spirit up there that gives us. Some that's trouble. probably what scratched you. Where yeah. at the mansion? Yeah. Really? Oh yeah. You haven't heard my story? No. Oh, I'll have to tell you on on the very short news break that we have because it yeah. is a good story. No. Yeah, we we had, we the last time we were there we had something pretty interesting happen and actually after after Bridgewater yeah. I uh, I woke up the next day with some issues Did as you? a result of it yeah so wow. You were hanging out. Well, I don't know. I wasn't with you that night. Third floor, second floor? Uh, of the mansion? Yeah. Uh, well, the, the particular thing that happened to me last time was third floor. Okay. But uh, uh, basement to... Mine doesn't really have a, a floor. Okay. Right. We'll, so. we'll, we'll fill you See, in. mine has yeah. always been on the second floor there. And the only reason we're going to tell you during the news is because we just told the stories recently right. on the show, okay. so we don't want we don't want to rehash it yeah. right away. But That's fine. We'll share it with you. We, uh, we have a break coming up in just a few minutes, but... Uh, yeah, after the Bridgewater event, you mm-hmm. know, I, I had the same issue that we had. Remember that, you know, after that Fort Tabor event where right. things got really weird? Yeah. And I woke up with the really bad leg, leg pain. Yeah. And the same thing happened to me after the Bridgewater event. And, like, I didn't do any abnormal. I mean, I know I was working in the park that night. Right. But I didn't do, like, an abnormal amount of walking. 
You know, no. I didn't do anything overly strenuous that would have caused that to happen. Um, but I just wondered if it was, you know, maybe just kind of the same thing. Like how your body reacts to what you're doing. Yeah, to, mm-hmm. to whatever was going on. You so. know, and, it, and it's to get back onto that other thing about with people, with the spirits possibly knowing you. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've been out in Freetown. Me and Matt had almost one of the same experiences. Yeah. We talked about this a couple of years ago. It took me 10 years, 12 years of being out there to finally believe I possibly seen the Lady of the Wedge. You know, and that's the thing. It took me all that time to finally see it or believe what I think it is. And yet, maybe they felt comfortable, and that's why she finally decided to show herself to me. Now, the legend's been going on for like 40-something years, if not more. Yeah, if not more. But everybody sees somewhat the same thing. And so when when we talked about what we had, it was like, yeah. It was identical. And, And the legend, what's funny is the legend, at least as we know it, has been debunked by the right. history of the location. It doesn't mean that there wasn't you know, an actual factual person that this is based on, yes. but just the way that the story has developed around this apparition yes. isn't well, 100% we know that, true. Well, the legend, the, the apparition has been seen right. and, and known by, you know. But, but the backstory that's been right. created for it yeah, might not no be 100% accurate. Yes. Well, what I found interesting with my particular case is I was there looking for UFOs, and I didn't know... So much about the legends, other than what I was told by the residents that brought me there, is like, well, then, how could I be predisposed to something yes. if I didn't know about it? Mm-hmm. Where in my case, I did know about it, and I was literally looking for that. So, definitely, I, I see what you're saying about that. I have never been to the ledge. Yeah, we we will work on that. What time is it? <laughs> we how long get, is the news break? We, uh, we can about get there six minutes. right after here. We can head down there. Ooh, be prime time. I don't know about <laughs> that. <laughs> yeah, prime time to score some dope if you right. want. Right. Yeah, let's, prime let's, time. Let's let's go get your other half. Right. And, and head I need down the other there. half to go because I don't go without the other half. I would t- I take more than I take more than just the other half at this time of night. <laughs> right. And you right. never know who's going to be. Oh, wait, well, Brightman's here, so. Yeah, there's, right, there's right. one questionable character already not out there. Uh, we are going to take a break for the news. When we come back on the other side, we will talk more with our guest tonight, John Brightman. We're going to get into some of the stuff about the Freetown State Forest, and we'll talk about the Bridgewater Triangle as well. And we'll get more into kind of the nuts and bolts of uh, paranormal research, especially paranormal research today as well. So we can welcome your calls at 508-996-0500-877-996-1420. If you want to call in toll-free, you can also tweet us using the hashtag spooky live or directly at spooky sc and of course the chat room is up and running and it's hopping on our youtube channel which you can find by going to spooky or by going through the free android spooky south coast app so if you haven't downloaded it yet please do so do it during the break give us a rating give us a review it won't take up very much space on your phone at all and it's your portal to all things spooky south coast both the new fresh content as it happens and all of the path content both video and audio as well so really what else do you need besides that i think the next step in in the spooky south coast app matt is we need to uh we need to find a way to make it invasive into all the other apps that's the only thing that i've noticed that it doesn't it doesn't do yet it doesn't make it so that like you know when i i can go on i can look for a date i can go in there and Make a right. an appointment on my calendar. I just want everything to be spooky. So great those. restaurants. I made a watch face already. We can put that up there for people to download. Sure. All right. We'll be back in just a bit after the news.
hour number two of Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with Stephanie Burke, along with the silent assassin Matt Costa, along with science advisor Matt Moniz, and our guest tonight, John Brightman. And, uh, you know, one of the things I noticed uh, there during the commercials, Matt, I think, um, I think maybe they feel the Spooky South Coast audience has a real problem with acne. There's quite a few commercials for Proactive in there. Right. So, I don't know. Stephanie, you're into all that stuff. Into what? Like Skincare? Cl- yeah, like cleaning yourself and well, things like cause, that. Because I'm a girl? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, look around the rest of the room, you know. Like, I'm pretty clean. I'm a hygienic guy. Yeah. But I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not that, you I mean, I'm. got me on a good week that I shaved, so. There you go. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, a razor, shaving cream, bar of soap, and shampoo guy. That's, that's all I need. That's a lot. That's all I need. And I have, I have, most. I have deodorant too, which oh, is see, helpful. That's, that sets you apart from the rest of And them. cologne. I have I multiple say, colognes. I was taking a step above that because I used the cologne. And yeah, deodorant. see that? I, I have multiple colognes. Mouthwash and toothpaste. No. No, I don't, I don't no. believe in this oral hygiene. That's all just oh God. propaganda they're trying to feed you. Says the guy that's drinking a two liter of. Yeah, right. No, no, I, 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 I brush my teeth multiple times a day and uh, I swallow mouthwash because I want Why? my breath to be fresh at the source. I'm just kidding. I don't swallow it. Oh my God. I don't really swallow it. As his stomach's got holes. Right. In it. right. But, I, you <laughs> know, last, last night was my 20th high school reunion. And, uh, you know, I, I put on a Henley, you know, mm-hmm. the long sleeve Henley t shirts, yes, which, I do. you know, we wore those in the 90s. Mm-hmm. They, they've come back now, which they I'm have. so glad for because I love them. But, uh, so I had that on. I had on jeans and like, like, uh, black, like, uh, you know, like bass shoes and mm-hmm. the braided belt and everything. I'm like, wow, I'm dressed 90s. Yep. Like, without even really meaning to be. So I thought last night, because I went and I got a haircut, had to get the fresh fade for the reunion. Naturally. And so I really thought about shaving my beard and just going with the goatee and the sideburns. Thank God you didn't. Just to look wicked 90s, you know, and uh, and I thought that would be perfect. And then the next step I was going to take was I was going to go into Target mm-hmm. on my way there. And I was going to go into the cologne aisle, and I was just going to douse myself head to toe in Dracar Noir. <laughs> Do they have... That type of aisle at Target? Oh, no, yeah. There, I was really? just at Target the other day, and I sprayed Dracar Noir on myself. Oh, That's where my I got God. the idea from. So I was going to just completely like shower myself in it, and then go to the reunion and see if anybody picked up on That's the fact terrible. that I was wearing Dracar, but I didn't do it. Uh, P.S. I am skipping my high school reunion tonight to Why? be here. Oh. It's, but you would have been the big star. They would have been like, oh, you're on the right. Right, Is right. on TV? I, I, I'll hold off, I think. I don't know. It happened at my reunion. Everybody's coming up to me telling me ghost stories. Right, right. I, I don't know like, if that'll happen at my I was mine. like, why didn't you guys talk to me about this stuff in high school? Then because. I wouldn't have felt so weird about it. Well, because they didn't know you didn't put it out there. I didn't talk about it in high school either. No, I I, I mean, I put it out there because we, well, Matt Costa, Matt Moniz, we all had the same great teacher in eighth grade, right? You had Mr. H. You had Mr. Ass of us too, right, Matt? Uh, or did you not? Grade? Yeah, were you, in the other, were you on the other team? I was on the other team. Oh, damn. Uh, so Moniz and I had the privilege of, of having Peter Hassenfuss as one of our teachers, and he would try and teach like whatever, the, the curriculum. He was an actual teacher. Right, well, that's true. <laughs> but uh, he would try and like go with whatever the lesson plan was, and we would usually derail that by asking a question right at the beginning of class. <laughs> Excuse me, Mr. Hassenfuss, are ghosts real? And he would go off on you know a 45-minute discussion about how they are possible, and uh, and then, you know, the next day we'd go in and be like, okay, today we're really going to learn about solar energy. Okay. 
just one question. Is time travel possible? <laughs> and we would go off on these long discussions, and, and it was a it was a discussion. It wasn't just him talking to us. Right. You know, it was a discussion and a debate. And, and My astronomy professor in college was like that. And you wouldn't be doing this now if that wasn't part of the, the discussion, I'm sure. You know, the... Being able to talk about it and being able to uh, expand he, your I ideas. I think he means he just went off on tangents, not so much oh, no, talked would, about ghosts. No, he would talk about ghosts. Oh, really? Yeah, he would talk about ghosts. Um, he would actually go as far as to talk about how like his child had experiences and all that stuff, and actually turns out that I went to school with his daughter. So um, she was always, you know, a little... Uh, reserved, and I kind of figured that was probably why, because she was experiencing things that people might not understand. So um, every single, it was actually a weird class where one teacher was supposed to be teaching it, but he was teaching at UMass Dartmouth at the time. So he had to race over from there to our class. So I think like the first 45 minutes of class, he had to cover it. So he would spend the first 45 minutes talking about ghosts every single week. How did I not get a good teacher like this? Oh, I took a great course at UMass when I went there. Um, I took uh, political assassinations in America, and you know the the class was great in and of itself, but to have the opportunity to then learn about guys like Jim Mars and and read his stuff and and read some of the the real conspiracy writers, it was like. Whew. Hugely mind opening, and I said, "Well, wait a minute. We can talk about this stuff here. Mm-hmm. This isn't like high school. Like we can actually talk about things." Intelligent that, conversations. Yeah. Go figure. Melanson. Uh, yep, Phil Melanson was the uh, was the professor. He's since passed away, yeah. or else we would have had him on the show. But uh, uh, great guy. I got to see the original Zabruder film with him. He was like it didn't matter what it was that you were th- if you were if you were thinking something alternative, he would encourage it. Yeah. You know, it didn't matter if it was. Uh, just about conspiracy theories, you know. He was somebody who always got behind free thinking, and uh, when when he first started introducing me to the work of Jim Mars, I was like, "Oh man, like someday we got to get this guy here." And it didn't really work out. They ended up bringing in somebody. They, they had a great guest speaker from England one time come in and talk. But um, when we first, the first time that we ever booked Jim Mars for the show, and we've had Jim on a couple of times, but uh, and you guys know how geeked up I was just yeah. to have him on. But I contacted Phil because I wanted to see if he would come on, and I'd heard by that point he was already really ill, and then he'd passed away not that long after. So, but somebody did, from what I understand, somebody did pick up the mantle and teaches the course over there. So maybe we'll get that person in eventually. Might, might have been the TA he had when I was there. So I had another professor um, that taught a death and dying class, and my mom actually had him during her nursing courses um, and he's still teaching now because I just talked to one of my students who's a student of his but he is so deep into um, the subject that he actually has a medium come and teach an entire class because he's very much into all of the different beliefs that surround death and dying see there's you can learn about this stuff in an actual academic right. environment it is possible you can pay for that type of I education. think we need John Tinney to come out with his own class and just let him travel as a teacher I and like that. Just talking to him is like going to school, oh but in God. a good way. Yes, but in a good way. He I is need, so smart. I need to meet him, but I need to go out and look for elves with him. You need to meet him not in a, a setting like... An event. Yeah. Yes. Like, well, well, I mean, obviously, you know, you, yeah, great. Meet him at an event, sure. But right. you need to spend some time with him outside of that. You, right. know, you need to be having the 3 a.m., you know, mac and cheese with him. And, okay. And, and I got to have that last year at Mount Washington. After the event was done, me and him were down inside the um, carriage house 
and we were talking. The event, the people from the event left because we were the last. They were the last group over there with us. They left. Me and him sat there for like another two hours, and he was telling me about how his parents got him into this and how he did this, and he just went off talking about everything. It's so amazing to listen to. Him. I don't. I don't think I'm uh, speaking out of school here when I say you know you you're a smoker. Yes. And so you probably had some cigarette breaks with him. Yes. I don't smoke. But every time I saw John Tenney going to have a smoke when we were on the cruise, I went right with him because the conversations that would happen Mm -hmm. around those cigarettes. First of all, like it was never one cigarette. It was like 20 20. because they just kept going, just kept talking. And and it was like just fascinating. I was trying to absorb as much of it as I could. Uh, I mean, really, like you want to talk about, you know, they say like when you exercise certain muscles, you know, right. they become stronger, and when you exercise your mind, the same thing will happen. This was like going into the gym every day and working out your mind, like, awesome. to its very limits. Just the conversations that you would have. And then we would ruin it by going back to the room and just talking about goofy stuff all night. And all of a sudden, we got so much smarter earlier, and, and now look at us. We're just goofs again. Big spoon, little spoon. Big spoon, little spoon. Happening again, 2017. I was already dubbed the spork, so I need to. <laughs> nice. I need to get in there and... And really have those conversations because that would be okay, awesome. Okay, I'm saying no. Get listen. in there and have the conversations. I'm the like the conversations. Tim, okay, the conversations. she's like, I'm trying to figure out how a, two spoons and a spork all fit, fit together. together. Yeah, no, yeah. they don't. It doesn't really work. Uh, but uh, we can all be together in the uh, sealed plastic napkined See package of life with the salt and pepper. Right, and the little handy wipe. Sometimes, after. if you're fancy, that comes in there. <laughs> you need that for after. If uh, for if you have uh, you know the lobster, you need the, the right, right, of for course. Sure. So, uh, but also, I mean, in, in talking about going around and, and and having the chance to discuss a lot of topics with people and with all these conventions that you go to, all these events that you go to, it's funny because very rarely do you spend get to, the chance to spend a lot of time talking about the nature of the paranormal with these people you know because it's it your conversations inevitably go to life on the road you know working with this person working with that person you don't really get to start dissecting what it is that you do and i think that's probably true of any convention i mean i'm i've never really been to other conventions for other things i've been to a few here and there stephanie i know you go to your it works conventions and a lot of that is probably you know, geared toward learning about products and learning about things that are coming out and, and you know, plans that are going forward. But I'm yeah. sure a lot of it, too, is the discussion of just your experiences, of what you've yeah, experienced in, in working in it and what other people have experienced. Yep, a lot of personal stories, a lot of self-development, a lot of encouragement, motivation, inspiration, um, everything pretty much in that category. Very, Actually, that's probably the majority of it. And then you have the little parts of, like, let me teach you how to do this this way or let's learn about a new product and different things like that. But... A lot of it is just uplifting. And and Moniz, I know you've done professional stuff for your actual field, uh, you know, working in, in chemistry and in the hard sciences. And, you know, I'm sure when you go, it's a lot of the same thing, too, where, yeah, you might be talking about, you know, s- certain aspects and, and certain parts of the work. But a lot of it, I'm sure, too, is just stories, just kind of... Uh, <clears throat> You know, just kind of the relation of what it is that you do and how you do it compared with what other people do as well. You know, it's a lot of kind of the just discussing the day-to-day routines of what you do and maybe somebody has uh, a different procedure that they do that you're picking up. You know what I mean? Like, it's not just about, uh, you know, uh, I was reading this article in Scientific American and then you discuss that. I mean, that's a lot of it is just kind of just relating to each other as colleagues in the field. No, we just go out drinking. 
Well, well, that works too. <laughs> the, the the problem in the paranormal with that though is like a lot of us, myself included, it only takes us like one or two. And we're gone. Because we don't spend our Saturday nights drinking. We spend our Saturday nights out looking for ghosts. So we don't have the tolerance. So, you know, it does But you get, you get a paranormal person four or five beers deep. Oh, forget it. I like, what I like to do is when I go to those things and I start drinking, I like to, to get, you know, get a couple in me and just sit there and be like, you guys know this stuff's all fake, right? For like, just to see, like, the reactions that I get. But most people. Can I be there when you do things like that? You can. Because that would be awesome. You can. I still, I still think you should have gone on, gone on the cruise. I would have loved to have gone that's, on the cruise. That's just when it to gets really happens. crazy. I'm, I'm terrified to go on a cruise. Let me put that out there. Just because of the water. Yeah. The water being around you. Yep. I told you the the only time that I was scared on the cruise when I thought I was going to die. <laughs> no, you didn't. Probably have, for good reason. I'll have to tell you this off the air. Okay. But there was one brief moment where my life flashed before my eyes. Great. On so, a cruise. Uh, yeah. It wasn't anything scary. It wasn't, no. It was just... Oh, no, not scary. His life just flashed before his eyes. Yeah. Nothing to see. Here. It was more the the situation that had developed around what was going on at the time. There are times when sometimes the stabilizers don't work on the cruise ship, and it was one of those times, which it wasn't really all that scary, but it's just looking around me and the situation I was in, I was like, okay, this is how I'm going to die right here. <laughs> Great. And it wasn't so much about what was going on with the ship, but just more about, like, if ever I was going to die, that would be the moment, because that would just be the perfect ending to me so uh, but anyway it, it would have been like the titanic you could have went down in history except, or the poseidon adventure yes except i would have been like excuse me rose move over there's a little extra room there on that door i'm getting, in, I'm getting inside that <laughs> oh my god it's i'm sorry but it was true that so, door could have held it, it would have been stephanie right. move over Let right me jump exactly in that seat right there uh, you know what? It would have been me jumping on Tenny's back as he swam like a dolphin back yeah. to shore. <laughs> because suddenly he would grow gills. Because I would not doubt something like that coming from him. I would, it's it's entirely possible. I do not. I cannot confirm nor deny that he is uh, a merman. Right. I figured. So, but anyway, the idea of getting to this is like when you're talking to to the people who are out there, you know, and and are the quote unquote names in the field, the people who are the ones that people look up to. Uh, and you're not really getting into the discussion about the nuts and bolts of what it is that you do. I mean, is there like a certain level that you found that people just are willing to make an acceptance at and work at? Like we were talking in the first hour about just accepting that ghosts are real and kind of moving on from there. Do you feel like a lot of people have kind of reached the point where they just accept that there's certain things that you do in an investigation and stuff will start to go on? Um, you know, I don't know. Honestly, I don't know about that because with some of the people that I've met, they seem like they're full wholehearted into it, but then there's some that feel that I, I shouldn't say there's some that I feel that might be just at that point of, all right, let's get it done for tonight and get it over with. Right. And they go through the basic steps, but then there's some that, for instance, John Tinney, he will take it to that next level just to try and find something that could possibly be proof. Um, but there are some that I think that just keep it at a level plane. And I mean, that, I mean, again, I haven't investigated with a, a ton of different people. I've investigated with people in this room many times, but not really, you know, a ton of the quote-unquote celebrities. But there are some people who just have that, you know, like, 
I don't want to call it like it's just going out there and going through the motions because it's not. But no, but sometimes they yeah. are. I know that some people are, but I'm not. I'm not really referencing that. I'm, I'm referencing more like people who kind of just go in and they have a procedure. Mm-hmm. You know, like Moni's writing a lab report. Like this, these are the steps that you go through, and some people go through and they just follow that lab report and they go through those steps. But then some people are like. I can't do this again. I can't go to the same place again and do all the same things. I have to keep it fresh for myself in order to keep my own interest. And I'm the same way. Like, I know that I can go into Lizzie Borden's house and do certain things and get a reaction out of the spirits there. But sometimes I'm like, well, let's just keep that in the back pocket in case and try something different. And you would think that when you've got all these people gathered together that are, you know, supposedly the the leading names in the field that you would have that would be the time to try something new and instead it's it it doesn't seem that way it seems more like that's the the time when everybody falls back into procedure more yes. than more than going no, through the motions. I, I agree with that and that's kind of getting back to like what we talked about earlier with t- with uh chris doing uh, legend trips you know i felt that way for a little while doing the stuff in freetown um you know I'd say two every month I was doing out there. And it kind of got to the point of it was the same thing over and over. Same speech I gave over and over. Mm -hmm. Same trip that I led them on. Same exact direction. Same equipment every time. And I kind of got a little bit burnt out from it. And it was kind of just regular to me. Um, And I had to change it up. And I finally said one night, no what? No equipment. We're just going to go out and do a regular... Have fun, tell ghost stories, and let them view the place and experience their own feelings at each place and have fun with it. And, you know, you, you mentioned Freetown State Forest and, and kind of the Bridgewater Triangle as a whole. We hear all these stories, and we hear the legends that have developed around these stories, and it becomes to the point where people want to go out and they want to experience that story that they've heard. And it becomes more about going out and repeating the same things. But I always say, like, the Bridgewater Triangle is alive. Oh, absolutely. You know, th- this is something where uh, the activity can change uh, on a dime, and you never really know what you're getting into when you go into it, that you kind of have to let it breathe a little bit and just go into something with an open mind and an open approach and saying, Let's just go and see what happens tonight. Let's not go and chase down this particular spirit. Let's just go and see what comes to us because inevitably something is going to come to you. Yep, I agree 100%. And that's exactly the best way to put it is what I started doing. Instead of taking people out there, telling them the stories and saying, all right, we're going to go to this location and we're going to try and get this. Like, for instance, the ledge with the lady of the lady in white or, you know, supposed puck wedgies. Mm-hmm. Instead of just going there to try and do that, Let's just go there, tell the stories, let them experience it, and walk around, and let's see what comes to us. And I've loved it since doing it that way. It's so much better. But you also, I mean, you've done numerous investigations there with equipment, and uh, and you've done things all over the triangle with equipment. So there's definitely something there that's affecting electronic equipment. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, And it's... It's it's a it's an intelligence. It's a and, and I don't even know if it's necessarily all the individual spirits that are affecting these things. I wonder if there isn't like some greater consciousness of the triangle itself. There's some greater uh, collective intelligence that is 
you know, maybe, I don't want to say masquerading as certain spirits, but it, 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 it forms into certain spirits in certain locations. But it's really just, it's the triangle that you're talking to. You know, they, they say that the whole curse of the triangle came from the Wampanoags. Mm-hmm. How could it maybe... The whole thing of masquerading as other things, maybe it's a Wampanoag spirit. You don't know. I mean, we've all investigated out there and tried to find things. Have we gotten exact proof? No. Um, so it very well could be something like that. And what's fascinating about that to me is I almost feel like individual ghosts are, I don't want to call it mundane, but it's its kind of like accepted to me at this point because I've had enough experiences that I know that they're there. But to crack that code and find something bigger, and what does that mean? Because, Stephanie, you are able to tap into a right. greater collective consciousness that exists kind of everywhere. Right. I. The best way to describe what I think is happening, um, from an elemental point of view, maybe, you know, something that was never human um, is a great possibility. But every time I go into the triangle, I almost feel like the entire triangle, which we know now is much bigger than an actual mm-hmm. um, physical triangle. Mm-hmm. I feel like the earth itself is living and breathing and it's an entity all on its own. And whether there's something that's controlling it, that's sitting back and laughing at all of us when we're out there, who knows? But it. It sucks you in every time. I, I think, I, me personally, I think the whole triangle, as much as the documentaries come out, as much as any one of us that's in this room has been out in the triangle, I think it needs to be furthermore investigated. I think oh, I agree. something really needs to happen where... You know, people put in a good amount of time researching, investigating, and checking out each location separately for a good amount of time. Like, we started to do it with our group for a while where we were going up to the Indian ceremonial area and doing a moon cycle research to see if we got certain hits on certain cycles of different times of the year with the moon at the Indian ceremonial area. Um, it fell a little short because we disbanded some of the group members, so then it was tougher to get it. But we started to do that because that could mean that certain times of the year their spirits are alive more than other times of the year. You know, I've never been there either. How about creating a Bridgewater Triangle Encyclopedia? Setting well, it up on the page. You know, you, you know exactly they, what I'm talking about. They started that with the documentary, um, taking stories and writing things down. Yeah, they are trying to, like... Make it like a database for it all. Right. With that. And I know that they have been getting some contributions to it, but I think the, the, because as, as I'm looking at it all and I'm, I'm looking at all these stories, I'm trying to see how they all interconnect and like what it all means. And yes, I feel like you can have a ghost experience anywhere. You can probably encounter a UFO anywhere. Uh, wherever there's, you know, a deep amount of woods, there's, there could be a Bigfoot. You know, all these things are kind of able to happen in other places. But why there are these places where all these things seem to happen in close proximity to one another, you had mentioned, Stephanie, whether or not you think something is controlling it all and kind of sitting back and laughing at us. Right. I'm almost starting to wonder if, if it's not something like that. Okay. I almost wonder if this is something that, uh, kind of taps into us and what it is that we're afraid of, okay. uh, what it is that we would kind of avoid, and it just basically projects those thoughts back to us. So whatever is there 
the idea behind it, because, you know, if you look back to the Native American history, right. they didn't go in that area. They didn't want anything to do with the Hockamock Swamp. They didn't want to hang out in the Bridgewater Triangle area. And so maybe that's because even then, whatever is there, the land itself, the earth itself, you know, ley lines, however you want to whatever you want to pinpoint it on, was already kind of projecting things out. So it's it's almost like it's a, it's an automatic keep out sign by throwing back whatever you're afraid at you. But the difference is now we're just not afraid of it anymore. But why? Or the fact that we're already so ingrained into it, we can't leave. We can't why leave. would it want us to? I, I, I think it's just a defense mechanism. I think really? You think that's I, it? I think maybe there's some areas that we're just not supposed to or go. Or hiding a secret? But what secret would it be? Could be Itself? Anything. What if there's a greater power that they don't want us to know about? Or what if the Native Americans look at the, at the settlers when they came and they asked for land, and they asked if they could purchase that land, and they kind of laughed at them and said, you can take it. What if they just thought, just like they always did, that the settlers weren't as smart or as in tune as they were? So they thought that the secret would be kept no matter what. Well, I one of the... the things that I always go back to with it is it's like a chicken and egg thing. Of course. You know, like when we, we look at, and I'm talking about the triangle area now, you know, uh, I can't really pretend to know the the mentality of the people, the collective mentality of the people back then. I know that there was all kinds of skirmishes. I know there was lots of intertribal warfare that was mm-hmm. going on, that the settlers became kind of pawns in to some degree. Right. I know all that stuff was going on, but I, I can't speak to the actual you know, mental health of the people that lived at that time. But I know in this day and age, and Chris Balzano's research has always pointed to this, Mm -hmm. there's a high level of criminal activity, there's a high level of mental illness, all within this concentrated area. And why is that? Sure, yes, there is a higher concentration of population, and when there's more people, there's going to be more problems with those people. But is it a matter of this area is affecting us, or is it a matter of... You know, we're drawn to this area because there's something off with us. Maybe, maybe, right. maybe we're wrong and our wrongness continues the wrongness of what's around us. I don't think it has anything to do with like being That was overly... bigly of you. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> I, hey, don't, I like don't to make up, I like to make up sentence. words. Um, now I forget what I was going to say. Thanks, Moniz. <laughs> it was, uh. We're not on YouTube, so I can't say what I'm really feeling right now. <laughs> um. It's all right, I heard you. Well, we are on YouTube. We're just also on the radio. Right. We just happen to be. I do have a dump button, but it doesn't doesn't always work. I don't know if it's worth it. Um, Yeah. I I I was going to say, like, places that are overly populated, we can't really use that as as a... I I hate you, Monies. Um, Other places in the world are much more populated than we are, so... That's not really a factor. Well, but what I'm saying is like... Is, I knew what you were saying, is, but... Is it just because of the amount of people here that we've seen those levels rise? As people move into an area and the population of an area increases, then sure, those numbers for people that are afflicted by those things mm-hmm. will will increase as well, but it's still disproportionate. But, if, but if you look at... And I didn't mean to cut mm-hmm. you off. No, if you look at the numbers... And, and I've actually seen this. The numbers of people that lived in, like, say, the Freetown of Sonnet area mm-hmm. from back in, like, I think it was 82 or 83, Alan had shown me the demographic numbers, to just recently, back in, like, 2010 is when he showed it to us. It's really only gone up by about ten to 15,000 people. It hasn't gone up hugely. So, and even that, they're on the outskirts of town. They're not around the forest. 
So for them to keep saying that people see this and that in the forest is kind of crazy that they're getting that. A lot of the reports that people say that they see something is people from outside of the area that are traveling because they want to see it. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm seeing. There, there. I mean, there is a population increase going on just as the migration has come uh, out to the suburbs with the addition of the commuter rail. and right. So ha- they have seen more people that have come into the area, but it's been largely undisturbed in some of the deepest parts of it. And that's one of the things that I was most interested in with South Coast Rail is that if it actually came to fruition, it was going to pass right through the Hockamock Swamp. Mm -hmm. And, like, what would that have stirred up? What would that have drawn out? What would that have led to people experiencing and seeing? It looks like that plan is probably not going to work out. They're going to go with, if they do anything, they're going to go with, you know, an extension of the Lakeville line into New Bedford. But Mm -hmm. So that it's a good thing because that area will stay untouched. But at the same time, like, we also aren't going to have that opportunity to see what happens as a result of it. What would the workers experience? Yep. You know, just from the, exactly. from the first time they go out there and start clearing space for the track. Yep. What you would know, you there find? would have been reports. I was pretty much expecting like Bigfoot to just show up on the track. Think so? Yeah, one day. <laughs> I assume they'd probably come across bodies or you know older artifacts, different things like that, because people have been going to that swamp forever. They were talking about having the dredge part of it. Uh, really? So yeah, yeah, so it would have been. They would have at least had the opportunity, but it's probably better that it's not going to go that way. Although we I, do, I would love to see trail. what they would find if they ever dr- uh, dredged the ledge. The ledge. <laughs> From what we've heard, what cars down there, yeah. and uh, j- that was basically just the the dumping ground for the mafia oh, to take care of problems. So and, and not just that. I mean, in the eighties, late seventies, eighties, they would just dump people were just dumping cars off the right. top of that just to do insurance yeah. jobs. So I know one of the divers and. Uh, he said that they haven't even pulled half the cars out of the bottom of there because it's they're so far down they're tough to get at, and of course being piled on top of one another. But yeah, God only knows what's hiding down there. But it'd be interesting to find out. God only knows what's hiding in the entire triangle. It's true. I'm sticking to my story. There's a secret. How do we get closer to the secret? Investigate, investigate it, it, yeah. Because everybody just scrapes the surface. You go and you hear Bridgewater Triangle, and you know kids are on the internet googling it. And I, I remember even about ten years ago, let's go to the Bridgewater Triangle tonight, and they had no idea what it was. Yes. Right. People have heard of it. They don't really know what it is, and we do. And how often have these places been investigated thoroughly? Instead, it's just stories that are told that are scraping the surface, which. Could be, I mean, there could be a lot. But but you need those stories. Oh, you definitely do you need, need those stories. Because that is what feeds into the collective consciousness that but keeps it, it alive. But it stops the story. Exactly. And that's the problem. You need more. You hear the story. You know, I think, you know, the documentary had done a lot for the community and a lot for people that have been researching forever and ever. But again... It's just the story. You just hear the story. You don't see the thorough investigation afterwards. You don't see digging into, you know, historical documents or digging into uh, people out, you know, on the ground and moving and looking and trying to figure out what's there. Did you Did you guys know that a lot of the ledge went to three significant locations when they hauled it out of there, the rock? Part of it went to Taunton State Hospital, the mm-hmm. foundation, not the foundation of the buildings, but the wall. Okay. The other two places, it went to Cary Mansion and went to the other big one. I forget the name of it. The other big one in Newport that's supposedly haunted. Um, uh, the, the Breakers? Thank you, the Breakers. It went to some of the foundation in the ground for that. Now, the quarry started, what, in the early 1900s, right? 
1926 or 27, the, yeah. the paperwork that I saw said. Um, I was some, just at the Carrie Mansion. Uh, somebody was doing some research. I think it was a pseudonym name in the chat room mentioned uh, that there was some documentation online that said that they actually had a railroad quarry back there as early as the eight, you know in the 1800s. It, at the ledge? Yeah, so they were doing some quarry work out there. Interesting. But what we were told when we went to, we went and told the story of the Lady of the Ledge to the Freetown Historical Society, and somebody said, that's a great story, but they really dug most of that out in the early 1900s. Yes. So, I don't know. I'm sure something was going on because that people wanted that rock. Again, supposedly, I don't know how true this is. I've looked, but supposedly a blast went on during the early 1900s, like a 1905, 1906 range, I heard, that there was a little shack with dynamite. And when they were trying to dig out the rock, they were putting dynamite down holes and blasting part of it away. When two guys went in to get the dynamite, supposedly the shack exploded for no reason. I have not found any proof like written down about it but a few old timers that still live in the area well again i'm going back about 10 years now Mm -hmm. they might be past now they were the ones that told me this story as they were growing up from being a kid um so i don't know how true it is but and and what kind what kind of rock is out there what kind of rock makes up that ledge uh, I believe it's granite. Granite. It's, it's 90% granite. And what's quartz in granite? Yes. Quartz. Thank you. And what does quartz do? Holds energy. Yep. And if you have running water nearby, it charges it continuously. And that is all so running water because that's over. natural springs. Yes. And so that's what we're dealing with, with some of these locations that it goes out to and, and carrying the ability to keep paranormal activity going and charging it up is the fact that, you know, it's built on a foundation that has this quartz in it. And people have been dying at that location for Years. literally decades. Yes. Decades. And it doesn't stop. And how many, I mean, listen. Documentable. Deaths. I'm not, I'm not, I don't think I'm, I'm talking out of school on this one either because, uh, you know, our, our friend Frank, the photographer, Frank Grace, yep. I think he's talked about this before publicly, but he's a pretty happy guy, right? Yeah. I think we all can agree. Frank's a, a pretty yes. well-adjusted dude. And even he talks about standing there on the edge of the ledge and, and feeling feel like he wants to go something telling him to go. Yes. You know, and I think all of us have kind of been through that up there at some point or another. You know, like you have to keep an eye on whoever you're out there with because those feelings do come to you and they overwhelm you. Uh, we had to actually grab somebody one of the other times I was up there. There, We saw him starting to do that whole teeter thing, and luckily he was wearing one of these like hoodie type of yeah. switchers. Grabbed him right by the hood and, and yanked him back. back. No, I mean, how many, how many people do you know that's actually been out? And this is why I keep saying we need to actually do more research out there. You know, and not just your typical handy cams or your K2 meters, but like full-on investigation. Have a geologist out there to do some research that way. Have somebody that knows different plant life, thing like that out there. You might remember this, Moniz. We were at Lizzie Borden's one night for an event. Um, it wasn't our event, somebody else's event, but we were there helping out. And someone showed up. They were from New Hampshire. And they were part of a team up there, and they came down with a map, a U.S. Geological Survey map of the entire Freetown State Forest and in the Fall River area, and it was like just granite everywhere. Oh yeah, and all it is like granite surrounded by the ocean and Buzzards Bay, and then surrounded over here by the Taunton River, and so like basically what it is is it's like one giant paranormal magnet, one giant paranormal recorder. Uh, all right there. So, I mean, we can get kind of, uh, you know, really esoteric on it all, but you're talking about, you know, in, in investigating and 
trying to figure it out and breaking it all down. And I'm looking at it more from the perspective, too, as if people just keep talking about it and telling the stories and paying attention to it, that's feeding into it. So while you're trying to, I mean, and, and I'm not saying mm. you specifically, because we're all basically all doing the same thing. But while you're over there trying to, to solve it and break it all down, all of us over here that are talking about it and feeding into it are just adding more and more layers onto of it course. and piling it on. So it's kind of just this uh, just continuous... Monster that it, gets fed, that, and it's, it just keeps duplicating and self-replicating, and mm-hmm. so you you know you're never going to find the answer because just when you get to that final layer, another layer is going to come and dump on top of it, and it's always just going to keep perpetuating itself like that. And maybe that is part of the secret, part of the defense mechanism right. of of whatever is there. We're never going to be able to find the answer because, not to sound like Rowdy Rowdy Piper here, but just when you think you have the answers, it goes and changes all the questions. Of course. It's kind of like, uh, what was that movie, National Treasure, where you yes. find one clue and it leads you to another leads one. You to another and one. you have to wonder, too, and I've, I've wondered... Um, you know, off subject of the paranormal part of it, but the history part is we've had evidence, um, even in Fall River, of Vikings visiting mm-hmm. this area. So if Vikings were drawn to the Bridgewater Triangle, does that mean, you know, Knights Templar were? You know, they were right there in Canada. Why wouldn't they come down this way? Is there much well, more actually, to be? They've been proven to be. Where was it? New Hampshire? Have you guys watched the TV show Curse of Oak Island yet? We're we're a little obsessed to just get it out there. And and I knew that's where you were going with that. There's some certain point that they showed that they actually came down into Massachusetts, the Knights Templar, because they found carvings on certain rocks here in Mass that matched up. The Narragansett runestones. We have Dighton Rock. We have all these different things, but they're all within the triangle. So what was attracting all of these people to the triangle? Well, you have what is Leif Erikson's rock right out on right. Uh, no man's land. Right, that's why I covered yep. the Vikings. And, yep. um, but they're all brought here for what reason? Is it the living, breathing land? Is it an entity that draws them here? Is it any of your theories? Well, we don't know unless we try. But at the same time, as we're trying, you know, we also need to keep feeding that beast as well, too. Of course, it needs to eat. Because, well, no, but not just that. I think it's it's important for us. See, that's the thing about this is it needs the human aspect of it to exist. Right. If it if it's just there, what's the point? You know, if mm-hmm. it, it, and it has to have people as part of the equation. And I think as people, we need to have this sense of something greater. So we're going to want to keep feeding that because... It kind of keeps our perspective of who we are in the grand scheme of things to say there is a power greater than us that's operating here. It's almost like, and I, I don't want to start calling the Bridgewater Triangle a piece of God, but it's almost like a piece of, of that, the mysterious that you're not meant to understand, right. right here where we can access it, right here where we can walk into it and feel it. And we do feel it. We don't just walk into this, you know, when you are... Or going into the Bridgewater Triangle, no matter where you might think the the quote-unquote border might be, Mm -hmm. when you step over that threshold, you feel different. Right. And when you feel that difference, you feel it every time. It doesn't go away. Oh, absolutely. You don't get used to it. You know, I can stick, I can look at 9-volt battery 50 times in a row, and I'm I'm never going to get used to that feeling. And it's the same thing of walking into the Bridgewater Triangle, only that's the equivalent probably of sticking a fork into an electrical outlet. I mean, yeah, I like that. That's I, a good I grew up there, 
And there's certain points. I had a group not that long ago come up. You guys know most of them. Lippy from uh, Long Island. Mm-hmm. They came up. They spent two days out there. They wanted to camp out, out there. Nope. And I said, absolutely no way am I staying out there. They're like, why? And I'm like, you do not know what this place is like at night. Right. I will not stay out there. If there's any, honestly, if there's any less than four in one location, four people, I won't go out there because I do get that nervous there. I can go spend the night by myself in the Victorian Mansion. Don't care. You would, you will not catch me with any less than four at a time out there. And you've been out there numerous times, yep. and I'm sure there's still times that you get turned around and don't know where you are. Oh, absolutely. It's happening. And you're what? Six, 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 yep. seven? Yep. 300 <laughs> pounds? Yeah. Yep. And I won't spend a night out there by myself. No. I won't even spend it less than four. Well, you know, the, no. the puck wedgies are only yay big, so. They can grab me I've by made the friends ankle. with them. They're actually pretty nice to me. I don't oh, know about oh, really? everybody else. Yes. <laughs> no, I, seriously, um, I've had a few um, situations that I've gotten into right on the edge of the forest and um, having an entity come at me that I wasn't sure of and that was looking like it really wanted to cause harm to me. I had a puck wedgie run up take care of it, look back at me, kind of smirk, and run away. Really? And this was long before, like, the internet was a thing. Yep. And I had no idea what, what I was looking was. for. I was digging in books to try to figure out, like, what was this tiny little thing that just ran up and looked at me. Um, and then, like, as Google started to become more popular, I was Googling it, and I was finding what was called this puckwudgie. I'm like, what the heck is a puckwudgie? And that wasn't my first or my last... Um, experience. And it's funny because I've never heard them to be friendly. I've always heard that's them what to everybody be said. But well, originally, originally they, were. they were. Right. Well, the, the legend of it is they were, then they weren't. But I've never had a problem with them. And every time I've gotten myself into hot water in the forest, one has come along wow. and kind of helped me out. I've seen them in different parts of Rhode Island. Um, it's it's fascinating to me because which now that would make sense because they are supposedly indian folklore right so would the indians be in in rhode island also? right right. the place that i did see them was actually the site of a major battle okay so um it did make sense but i saw two of them out in rhode island i've seen about three of them in mass near the the forest so they fascinate me i'm I'm gonna have to show you a picture i have that yeah what you can make of it then yep and i never Hmm. tell people what they look like to me because i don't want to ever that's awesome because now it's not gonna right make me think that's what i'm seeing right that's exactly why because other people describe other you know creatures or entities differently but the way that i've seen them is i i've sent this this picture to numerous people that we all know and not one of them can come back with an explanation of what it is they all say that it's not a matrixing of the picture though they've all said that Mm -hmm. they just can't make out what it is Maybe I mean maybe they appear as different things to different people too. They could because we don't know what they are. Exactly, and that's I mean if they are kind of tricksters, that's a good trick to play. I'd also like to something different to point out that I have held myself back from making Harry Potter references all night. I was waiting. I was actually waiting for (sighs) it with that story. Something you said was really. Really digging deep into Harry Potter, but I I contained myself. What, what was it? Just just let me know what your, it was. <laughs> just let me know. Your uh, your shape shifting method of you know things that that draw us in or show themselves to us as how we want them to or our fears. Because um, you know that was not a Harry Potter reference. Because I don't know anything about. You Harry don't Potter. know Harry Potter. I just want to make that clear so J.K. Rowling doesn't sue me. Right, right. But um, although then we can just turn around and sue her for stealing all of our legends. See that? Because that did happen. Um, the idea that you're discussing, um, I think it was in the f- either the first or the second book um, when it was first introduced. I know Balzano's going to call me out on this, um, and I'm probably going to say it wrong, but it's either it's a Bogart or a Bogart. 
and that's how um, Bogart is it? Bogart. I don't I remember how to say it right, um, but it was this like shape shifting. Um, creature that would as soon as they would open up the container that it was kept in it would show itself as your worst fear speaking of bogarting i have no idea what she's talking about right now mm-hmm. somebody's been bogarting it so no well that simone's gets it <laughs> stephanie's like Wah. we have a call coming in so uh, let's just take Probably it we, bells on we have a oh i think i just disconnected it by accident that was not on purpose uh but we do only have a few moments remaining in the show anyway. I'm not sure uh Ross had said he was gonna try and call in uh tonight while uh while he is having some family time, but uh Ross, if you are listening, we want to thank you for the package received earlier. And uh, we do have just a few moments remaining in the show. Uh I wanna remind everybody that if you know, this is a new topic for you, the Bridgewater Triangle, the things that we've been discussing tonight, some of these theories, uh, some great resources you can check out. Of course, Chris Balzano has written numerous books on the subject, Dark Woods, Cults, Crime, and the Paranormal in the Freetown State Forest, Goes to the Bridgewater Triangle. Those are both very um, informative resources and great reads uh, on the topic as well. The Bridgewater Triangle documentary, of course, which you can now get if you have Amazon Prime. For you can free. now stream it free. So how's that for a deal? You're already paying for Prime, and now you can watch the Bridgewater Triangle documentary. And, of course, we've done you know the Bridgewater Triangle investigation show every year since we started this show almost 11 years ago. So there's lots of content to go back there and check out. Plus, we've covered the topic on other shows as well. Uh, many, many nights. It comes up quite frequently. So just go back through the archives, which you can do by going to YouTube to get some of the video archives. SpookySouthCoast.com has the audio archives. Most of the podcast, feed, podcast feeds, especially iTunes, are limited because of the way that they catalog everything. You know, most, most podcasts don't last 500 episodes. So they don't really know how to store all those so we do have the archive feed that you can get on our website and well matt you just need a simple uh rss reader right to be able to check out all the old episodes oh uh, they should all be up on um oh wow you linked them all up well that's the most part i think i uh, at least you can listen to the first year all right well you can check that out and uh, go back and learn more about the bridgewater triangle or maybe it's something that you've been researching and you just want to go back and remember fond times of when we didn't know what we were talking about but now we uh, we have a little bit better idea. And speaking of not knowing what we're talking about, I don't know who our guest is next week. Rich Newman. Okay, thank you very much. Haunted Bridges. All right. Oh, good. Yeah, this is uh, something that uh, we've been looking forward to for a long time. Uh, so that will be next week's episode of Spooky South Coast. When we will be back at 10 o'clock. Uh, if for some reason we can't get on the radio because of a game, we will start the show on YouTube and then join it over the air in progress uh, once the opportunity arises. So get out there. Download the app, rate the app, review the app, sign up for our YouTube channel, growing content there all the time, Uh, sign up for the podcast, review the podcast wherever you get it from, just let us know, let us know what you think. Email us, SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com, or hit us up on Twitter, at SpookySC. So many ways to get a hold of us, please make sure that you do so. We love to hear from you, we love to hear where you're listening from and how long you've been with us. So until next week, for Matt, for Matt, for Chris, for Stephanie, for John, I'm Tim, say spooktacular.